listening to a podcast from The National. I'm down in Davos, where the World Economic Forum 2018 is being held, a gathering of the world's leaders, Narendra Modi of India, Theresa May of Britain, Donald Trump of the United States. Also, we've got huge delegations from the Arab world, from the UAE, from Iraq, and from Saudi Arabia. I'm actually talking to you from the International Performance Hub on the Promenade in Davos, the Swiss town where this event is held every year. And Saudi has uh, put together a quite impressive uh, tool. Um, what it's done is it's collected uh, pillars of data from around the world on a whole number of metrics, technology, health, uh, the labor force, participation of women, for example, uh, you name it. And it's allowing everybody on the online to access this, countries, companies, individuals, to compare how countries are doing in these key metrics. It's related to the Vision 2030 of the Kingdom of Saudi Arabia, its effort to uh, transition away from an economy reliant on oil towards one that is much more diversified and related to the knowledge economies and the technologies related to this world. So there's a gathering of people this morning uh, coming very early to uh, hear more about um, the International Performance Hub. But it's interesting because it's Saudi Arabia looking to lead, showing how it is transitioning, it is changing. Uh, this tool will help compare uh, performances of countries around the world, but also will show the data gaps that are ongoing at the moment um, and where we can potentially fill those gaps. Um, I'm Mustafa Al-Rawi. You're listening to the Business Extra podcast, a special report live from Davos. Um, we're going to talk about a whole number of topics today from who's been here to um, potentially what are the big topics that will be discussed in 2018. First, let me start by talking to Hassam Al-Madani, who's the Director General of Saudi Arabia's National Performance Center. Thanks for talking to me. Thank you very much. Great to have you, Mustafa. So you, you've come to Davos uh, to explain about this new uh, data tool that you've put together. Um, what, what's the driver behind it? Uh, first of all, it's good to be here with you. And um, um, the tool was a tool that is um, developed for our internal use first. We have aspiring 2030 goals. And we have great ambitions, and we realize that we cannot deliver on those ambitions until we have proper way to monitor where we are. And it's very important for us to monitor where we are on the global front. So we developed a tool that allows us to monitor Saudi Arabia's performance on the global map. We look at 500 plus indicators, we compare our performance with 200 countries, and we use this tool to set our internal targets and define our internal benchmarks. As we develop the tool, and we are very committed to transparency, we decided to release this tool to the public so the public and the globe can hold us accountable as well. The tool doesn't have only KPIs that we are doing well at. It is KPIs that's how we are doing globally, things we are excelling at or things we are lagging behind. So because we are committing to be transparent, we want others to hold us accountable and monitor how we are doing. And also we are offering the tool to the globe so other countries can also monitor their own performance and their citizens can follow up on how they are delivering on their, their, these priorities. 
Hussam, uh, you talk about transparency. That's a very important part of the overall Vision 2030, Saudi's attempt to uh, wean itself off a reliance on oil revenues, um, looking towards a knowledge economy, technology, the development of human capital. Uh, this is all tied into to what the research, the performance center is doing, correct? Exactly. Saudi Arabia is a big economy. And the theme of, uh, of the day now is Saudi is open for business and open for collaboration. We cannot achieve our 2030 goals without collaboration and uh, co-generation of ideas with others. We aspire to lead globally and these platforms like Davos and these systems allows us to build these uh, um, uh, co-generation uh, platforms of ideas to make impact. Hassan, thanks so much for talking to me. I know you're very busy. You're, you've got a whole host of people waiting to talk to you. And definitely Saudi's open for business. It's very clear. You're on the promenade um, of Davos, uh, showcasing the, the international performance hub. Uh, the last thing you'd say, what's the, the message beyond that about data and uh, using that to track performance? Uh, what would you tell other countries in the region uh, to, to, to help that go forward? Well, it might sound like a cliche, but as they say, you cannot manage what you cannot measure. Without data, you will always be misinformed, you will be biased. And this is the era of data and the fourth, uh, the fourth industrial generation calls for full exploitation and uh, better utilization of data. And without data, we will be off track. And I have to tell you that I'm a big fan of the national, so thank you for hosting me. Thanks so much, Hussam. Good talking to you. Thank you, Mustafa. That humming sound is of the funiculaire as I head back down the mountain in Davos. I just went up to the Shatz Alp for an event where the polar explorers Robert and his son Barney Swan have just returned from an expedition to the Antarctic powered solely by renewable energy. It was a harrowing ordeal, but it's all part of uh, Robert Swan's 30 plus year efforts to highlight dangers of climate change is in Davos on the sidelines of the World Economic Forum because this is where people come to highlight issues like climate change and social gastronomy and the refugee crisis because the world's global leaders are here, top executives, and if you put it top of mind you get that backing and that political will to see real change happen. I caught up with Robert Swan who explained a little bit about how he works around the world to help support the introduction of renewable energy and practices that could help the impact of climate change, including in the UAE. We're very focused on renewable energy, the future of energy obviously being yeah. an oil town. Um, you worked with Shell and NASA for this trip, yeah. five years of planning, um, you've just completed it. I mean, what's kind of the takeaway in terms of the, the impact of proving that renewable energy can work in the most inhospitable place in the planet? Uh, I've spent a lot of time in the Middle East and have a huge respect for your leaders starting to understand that solar and renewable is, is the future, it's not just oil. And I'm very proud to say that your environment agency in Abu Dhabi are sending three members of their team with us to Antarctica on March the 1st on our voyage on a ship uh, to come down and learn all about Antarctica, learn about what we you just heard, uh, our trip to the South Pole. So I'm a huge supporter of the Middle East, which is often seen as the place that caused the problem. It didn't. Oil gave us 
huge amounts of benefits and it's great to see your leadership starting to go hang on a minute we've got plenty of sun above us as well as oil perhaps running out down below and it's 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 great to see the leadership really taking renewable energy seriously and uh, that matters a lot to me and having taken a lot of young especially young women from the middle east to antarctica again that's a very positive message and you're here in davos um, there are hundreds of the world's top executives global yeah. leaders here to hear about what issues they should focus on do you feel that they are focused enough on renewable energy and climate change in the environment they are focused but i think that they need to act even harder and obviously with the greatest nation on earth america withdrawing from the paris climate change agreement it doesn't really matter actually because i think so many big businesses and so many big companies and so many great countries are actually saying well fine that's their choice for a while we'll carry on and we'll stay connected to it and i think that uh, especially working with the great oil and gas company shell what they're doing with renewable energy producing different types of biofuels running all of their uh, retail outlets their shell stations are all run on renewable energy i think we're looking at a future that almost it doesn't matter what governments do or say it's down to companies it's down to us as individuals to make those changes and I'm very, very proud that the Environment Agency in Abu Dhabi are sending three of their team members with me to Antarctica in 35 days from now. So that you should stay in touch with them and see what they've got to say when they come back. Thank you. I know you, you and your son Barney just got back a few days ago from a really tough journey. You're still recovering. So thanks for taking the time to come here and talk to us about this. And, and how can people follow up on your story and what you're doing going forward? Well, we have a modest website, 2041, that's in numbers, 2041.com. But please get in touch with the Environment Agency and, and find out those people who are coming with us See if you can interview them before, maybe get some live stuff from them in, from Antarctica and interview them when they come back because those are the people who can really make a change you know, in your great nation um, because you know, the UAE, the Arab world can actually lead on solar because you've got plenty of bloody sun. It's simple as that. You can hear more about the Swans expedition by listening to the Global Goalscast podcast on Apple Podcasts, where you can also get our other podcasts, Beyond the Headlines, and Extra Time. Now, you're listening to the Business Extra podcast coming to you live from the World Economic Forum in Davos. I'm currently outside the main hall in the Congress Center. You can hear the buzz and the atmosphere, a lot of conversations going on. Uh, let me give you a rundown of some of the topics that have been discussed in the last few days. Um, first of all, there's been quite a bit of optimism here about the global economy. The IMF's Christine Lagarde trumpeting a better overall picture. Donald Trump's arrival has triggered discussion around his tax cuts and how they're improving economic growth in the US. Bankers lining up, uh, Goldman Sachs, JP Morgan, to congratulate him on his policies here. He may get a better reception than people possibly imagine. Uh, also, a weaker dollar is good news, according to the Treasury, Treasury Secretary who's here. 
Conversely, a good euro is good news as well for Europe, so good news all around, really. Uh, the UK has been here. Theresa May, the British Prime Minister, has been speaking. Uh, the relationship in terms of global trade, particularly beyond Brexit, has been an important factor. What do they do? The Irish as well have been talking about the future for them, um, given the whole issue over their soft, hard border with the North um, and beyond Brexit as well. Um, oil and gas is a sector seems to be taking a back seat compared to renewables, which are back in vogue uh, after possibly many years of, of, of not being, which is interesting, particularly given the interest in renewables in the Middle East and the UAE. Um, European companies, Total, uh, Enel, uh, pushing their development here uh, very much so. Um, could globalization be on the way out? That's been mooted as well, uh, possibly paving the way for a new era in world trade. Uh, certainly France's Emmanuel Macron called for a new and more open and inclusive approach when he spoke here. Uh, related to that, technology, big, big focus, particularly the human aspect. You know, maybe the lesson we learned from globalization has been not to forget the human impact, negative and positive, and to manage that better as we move into an era where technology will have a bigger emphasis, changing the job market, changing how we educate our children, and changing the way we live and, and work in the future. Um, so, you know, there's a lot of stuff around that, uh, artificial intelligence, robotics, uh, which, which of these are going to become more prevalent over the next few years, what applications, and of course, a lot of chatter around uh, cryptocurrencies and blockchain, uh, Bitcoin. Um, I went to a panel um, on that, so uh, you know it was interesting to hear a frank and forthright debate on whether there is currently a bubble uh, when it comes to cryptocurrencies. So I've literally just finished a session uh, called the Crypto Asset Bubble, which was obviously about cryptocurrencies. Uh, well, they're called crypto assets now, and that was the basis of the discussion. There were quite a few people um, with a lot of experience in this on the panel. You had uh, the Riksbank Deputy Governor, Cecilia Skingsley, the Swedish Central Bank is probably the oldest in the world, over 300 years. You had Jennifer Zhu Scott, the principal at Radium Partners in Hong Kong, who's really an expert um, in the crypto asset uh, class. Neil Reimer, one of Europe's uh, leading venture capital investors. And Robert Schiller, the Nobel laureate Yale professor of economics, um, you know, who's c complained that Bitcoin's a fad and there are better ideas out there uh, that are getting less attention. And that's very much, you know, what he continued to say. Um, but uh, Jennifer Zhu Scott was interesting because she was saying that Bitcoin's not disrupting currencies, it's disrupting gold. And that really leads to this new paradigm that um, it's about the asset, a store of value rather than a replacement for the notes or coins in your pocket. Uh, but we kept coming back to that and it seemed to be interchangeable between currency and asset. Um, there are obvious advantages uh, to uh, Bitcoin and other cryptocurrencies, uh, the inflation versus deflation argument, monetary policy, trust, all the usual stuff that came up. Um, you know, but those on the panel like Neil Reimer and uh, Zoo Scott, who um, you know back the idea of Bitcoin, they say nine years into the experiment and it's still trusted, it's still going well. While Schiller said there are better ideas out there in Chile, for example, uh, Unidet Fermento, they have their own digital payment system that seems to work. But he said nobody wants to follow Chile. But um, you know, it, it's you know, it was it was a vibrant discussion, a big audience there attending it. Um, the idea that in the future. 
private banks could provide services for those that own the assets, the crypto assets. Uh, for example, holding their private keys is interesting. Um, you know, the number of transactions in Bitcoin, though, is, is very small, according to the Swedish Deputy Central Bank governor um you know it's a 30th of normal uh, currency transactions in sweden and they're almost cashless by the way um they could easily be cashless they're studying what that means they would and she said it was, it's a new society that will be created um in terms of, of of moving on from notes and coins is that a good thing is it safe um she's still too early to tell but they've seen a rapid decrease in circulation of notes and coins ultimately what you all want to know is should you invest in Bitcoin? So the question was asked to the panel, in a year's time, what would Bitcoin be worth? And nobody wanted to be drawn, especially Professor Schiller, who doesn't want to be quoted around the world. Uh, the Riksbank uh, deputy governor again said it's not in her purview um, to forecast. Zoo Scott, um, you know, as a real evangelist of, of these assets, said, you know, she doesn't matter what the money is. But Reimer stuck his neck out and said $25,000. But um, the idea was as if it's higher than it is now and it's still alive, then it's a success. In 10 years, we could be seeing um, you know, a global digital currency taking over from the dollar, possibly even a central bank digital currency from China that could facilitate trade along the new Silk Road, the, the Belt and Road Initiative. So it was absolutely incredible session where um, you know, they really got into the nitty gritty of where we are. I mean, the last 12 months since the last World Economic Forum uh, in Davos, uh, a lot's happened with Bitcoin, the volatility, um, the intense scrutiny, even in the last few weeks weeks, there's been quite a bit of change in terms of the price, in terms of people's attitudes to it. There could be a lot of regulation this year that could, again, affect how people look at crypto assets or currencies, whatever you want to call them. And the num sheer number of them and uh, the initial coin offerings, all of that, is, it, it seems to be you know spilling over. So it'll be interesting to see where we are 12 months from now. I hope you've enjoyed this little tour of what's been happening in Davos at the World Economic Forum, an understanding of some of the topics and issues that have been coming up, what people have been saying, uh, what the atmosphere is like. Earlier today, people were there for a couple of hours waiting to get a glimpse of Donald Trump, who's very much here, but uh, everyone's craning around looking at it. As one, as one person told me, she said, I don't know why I'm waiting, I'm embarrassed for myself, is what I heard her say, one of the delegates, yet people waited. So uh, the next uh, 12, 15, 24 hours will be interesting interesting as uh, we head towards Donald Trump's speech. But up till now, um, you know, since Tuesday, when the World Economic Forum got into full swing, it's been really, really vibrant and interesting. And uh, there's been a lot said. And uh, I expect uh, the rest of 2018 to continue that way. Uh, I'm Mustafa Al-Rawi. You've been listening to the Business Extra podcast. Please go get all our po other podcasts and episodes from Apple Podcasts. You can always visit the national.ae uh, for our fuller coverage, not just of Davos, but of all other business topics. Uh, that the team covers very well in Abu Dhabi, in London and elsewhere. Thanks for listening.